Welcome to the Quantum Biology Collective Podcast, where we break down the practical strategies of this emerging science, starting with healthy light habits and going wherever the quantum superhighway takes us. This is your host, Meredith Oak, and we'd also love to hear from you. Visit www.quantumbiologycollective.org and click QBC Newsletter to join the conversation. Return guest Sarah Pugh has a degree in biochemistry genetics, a PhD in molecular mechanisms, as well as training in functional neurology, Pilates, and hypnosis. In this episode, we explore the idea of whether the environment in which we consistently place our bodies on a day-to-day basis can have more of an impact on whether disease manifests than the genes we inherited from our parents. With a focus on light, Sarah breaks down how our cells communicate with the environment that surrounds them and how this communication system determines our health. Enjoy. Hello, Sarah Pugh. I'm so happy to have you back on the podcast. Um, Everybody, Sarah Pugh is here. If you haven't listened to my first interview with her and you are a quantum super nerd, definitely go and listen. Today, we're going to be a little bit more basic because I've had a lot of people ask for just to like tone it down just a little so they can follow along. So Sarah, uh, today we're going to talk about this, the idea of genetics and the idea that we all grew up with, that there are certain things about us that are totally predetermined by our genes. So tell us sort of why that is such a, a dominant belief system and what are we talking about when we say that? Okay, so some people um, might have heard about sort of a a gene for this or a gene for that. But the important thing to understand is that the genes sort of load um, the crossbow and the environment pulls the trigger. And our genes, um, just to be very basic about it, they contain information and then the body makes proteins or little machines or receptors or something out of it. So it's the instructions to make part of a human, uh, the working parts. There's obviously more, which we won't go into, But I think what we want to talk about today is how your light environment, as in your environment, can change what happens um, inside your body, sort of deep inside. So how do messages from the outside in the environment get inside us so our genes know whether they need to make more of a machine or less of a machine? And why sometimes even if you have got something about your genetics, say people have heard of SNPs and things, why often you can alter your environment, not by just moving somewhere else, but how this can impact your health, your mood and uh, your metabolism. So most of us have been, have been taught the idea that our, our genetics are predetermined and there's not much we can do about them. They were, as you were saying earlier, that the cards we were dealt by our parents and that's the hand that we've been dealt and and that's that and what i hear you saying is that actually our choices have a lot of power over our genes in terms of whether they turn on or off or what they do inside of our bodies and that our environment matters it's not just genetics is that accurate yes yes because um some people even think it's only one percent now our genetics because before people thought it's a hundred percent then it was 50 percent yeah. And then now some people say 1%. So when I talk about 
when I talk about genetics, I don't mean we can change our eye color or our hair color or anything like that, but or our height. But um, today it'll be sort of some people think, oh, I've got a gene for depression or I've got a gene for obesity or I've got a gene for diabetes. Um, so it's more the sort of processes in the body that if we change our environment, uh, we can influence the processes. And again, mental health is a process because it's to do with sort of neurotransmitters and amongst other things. And then metabolic processes, say for diabetes or obesity, that there's a lot that the environment um, influences as well. And then the way light can change this inside us, I think is very interesting because people don't re they think well the lights outside me how does how do my cells that are in the dark how do they even know what time it is what time of day it is what what proteins or machines should i be producing so there's a lot to do with your your processes that you can alter right so the all of that idea that you know i might have the breast cancer gene or i might have the gene for that doesn't mean that it's a death sentence. It means that it, the choices that I make in terms of my environment are going to affect whether that gene expresses itself. Yes. Uh, okay. And also because you happen to mention breast, that's a very good starting point because the breast is an organ that makes food basically. And um, it's going to make food depending on light. And this how is- do you mean, How do you mean it makes food? Oh, it makes milk. It's like a prostate. It's oh, for the babe. Oh, in that way. Okay, yes. So, yeah, it's like a, a food producing um, organ. So it's obviously going to produce lots of other growth factors as well. Okay. So, prostate. so if we confuse a breast or a prostate with the wrong light, because um, very interestingly, blue light is a driver for growth. And that's really important in the right context. But too much blue light of the wrong kind can drive the growth in these sort of food making um, organs. Uh, and mm. as I said, they contain other growth factors as well. So you've switched on the overproduction of, of proteins or overstimulated the genes using light. And that's part of the reason why breast and prostate cancer are so light um, dependent or sensitive and why blue light is particularly bad for those two. Uh, Interesting. Because they they're oriented towards growth to begin with. Yes. So when we augment that with artificial blue light, we're heightening that capacity in a negative way. Yes. Yes. Just to keep things sort of simple for people, because I think it's very frightening for a woman or a man if their father or, or relative had a particular cancer and they feel completely out of control. Well, I'm doing everything right with my diet. And why has it happened to me as well? Mm -hmm. um, is it my genes or it was is it the fact that um, I'm under blue light inside all the time? So so it gives people control over things that, that um, potentially could be quite alarming um, so we won't go into the sort of genetics of, of, of the, the BRAC gene, because um, even if you've got both, say, um, you've got two of those, there are still ways that you can not have the breast removed, manage your environment and not develop um, breast cancer or, or, or significantly reduce the chances uh, of um, the cancer. Right. So when we talk about managing our environment, so if we're coming out of the belief system where, um, you know, genetic predetermination, which as you said, okay, so we used to think it was hundred percent and they're like, oh my, actually maybe it's 50. And now the new thinking is that maybe it's actually only 1%. So this is a huge mind shift for those of us who 
um, grew up thinking within the, with in the old paradigm. So genes don't necessarily predetermine everything. They are uh, affected by our environment. How, how is that? So what is the communication that's happening between our genes and our environment? How is that even possible? Okay, so um, on our bodies, we've got surfaces like our skin and our eyes, and the skin is not just this thing to keep our body in, it's got receptors on it, so it can uh, detect different wavelengths or different colours of light. And the eyes, of course, are an extremely complicated um, device, and they can detect all these different colours of light as well. So when it comes to seasons and time of day, there are very specific things that the body's supposed to be doing at a given time, if we've got a good circadian rhythm. But if the communication from the surfaces um, isn't good because, say, that you're in the wrong light, that the body can get the wrong messages and make the growth factors when they should be detoxing, uh, making detox factors and not killing cells when the cells should be being killed. And it's very interesting how this information will just use light to keep it simple, that one or two photons of light can land on our skin or in our eye. And we've got an amplification system inside our body and people would call it non-linear optics. In simple terms, it just means we're a giant amplifier. So one or two photons land on the skin or the eye and it's like a big megaphone um, that ends up. Uh, talking to the cells or the mitochondria to tell them what to do. And the way the body propagates this signal, it can do it by making more light inside us, but it can also carry this information through our water network. And that's another very important aspect of quantum biology, our, our um, coherent water in the body, which acts like a medium for this amplification. So we're basically like a biological photomultiplier or a biological amplifier. And, and that's how the mitochondria and the cells get the message from the outside. Um, we're just using light as an example to know what time it is. So they make the right brain chemical or the right hormone or the right um, machine at, at the right time. Because it's like an airport in a way that if the communication system breaks down, it can be very frustrating. It can also be like harmful as well. Um, so we can think of ourselves as like a really complicated airport that we have all these moving parts inside mm -hmm. us and all these things have to happen at the right time. And if, if something gives us the wrong message from the outside, we could end up with all sorts of problems from mood issues, diabetes, um, obesity, all sorts of, of different things because the wrong message came from our environment. Okay, this is so cool. So, so our skin and our eyes are receiving messages from our environment and we'll keep it there. Yes, there are lots of frequencies, but we'll keep it focused on light for, for the sake of this discussion. Okay. And so if you have the correct signals coming in, like morning light in the morning and darkness at night and bright light in the middle of the day are our body's processes are synced and coherent and regulated. And when you give an incorrect signal, like bright light when it's supposed to be dark or darkness when it's supposed to be day, um, our bodies go out, go into chaos and they don't know what to do. But then on top of that, what you're saying is the body is also an amplifier. So does that work both ways? Like if I crack open a window at my desk, 
does my body amplify that sun, even though I'm not like lying out in my bikini and, and help my body to know what time it is. And does it work the other way too, where if I, I look at my phone, but only for a minute in the middle of the night, is that blue light signal being amplified through my body? Uh, yes, that, that that's that they both it work it, it works both positively and negatively. So, say if someone had a job and they're stuck inside all day, they can still open the window, and enough light's going to get in to to go on some skin and our eyes to tell our brain what time it is. Obviously, if you're trying to make vitamin D, that's not going to work because you need a lot of a sun on a lot of you, but just. Uh, through the crack that's going to be enough to keep your body clock um going because it's almost like the the more you can not well see the sun or or be in direct contact with it that's how our clock stays calibrated because if we don't see the sun for ages then the body starts to think oh i don't know what time it is anymore and then say if you did look at your phone for two minutes that or even less now you've told your brain it's 12 noon so it works in a good way, in a bad way. So even sneak, even getting up in the morning and thinking, oh, I'll just quickly um, check my Instagram. You've already disturbed the, the system because um, there's a particular colors of light in the morning, the violet and red, and that's basically our on switch. So if you got up and looked at your phone first, you've disturbed um, everything right from, from, from the word go. So the message is even a little bit of light uh, can be a problem. So even sneaking a look at your phone, we're very, very sensitive as an amplifier. So that message is going to get taken in somewhere and something in your body is going to notice. Interesting. Okay. All right. So just back to the sun for a minute. So cracking the window is enough to regulate our circadian rhythms, but it's obviously not enough to get all the other health benefits of the sun, like creating vitamin D and so forth. But from a a circadian regulation standpoint, it really helps even just to have an open window, even if we're not outside. Okay. Yes. Another important thing on that note is that um, when the photons hit, hit us, it's going to affect the electrons in our body. So when we're grounded, we've got lots and lots of electrons. Well, you know, just for, for argument's sake, when we're not grounded, we're going to be leaking electrons. So ideally, you'd want to be grounded and in the sun to get the full message. So you always should go out um, and be grounded as well. But for people that can't, who never open the window, opening the window can be a game changer for them. And it's a very simple mm-hmm sort of step that they can do. And then at least that's telling your brain what time it is. Even if you're not getting your battery charged fully, if you were actually outside, it's a step in the right direction and making small changes and then making another change and another change um, is the way to sort of uh, benefit. Uh, Because I appreciate that not everyone can go outside and ground um, during the day, but I would say that's a really important thing to do. And, and something else on the subject of amplifying light, you can use, say, reflectors, or even some foil on the cardboard in your car or in your office, and the light's going to come in, bounce off the off the reflector, and you're going to get more bang for your buck, even if you can only mm. open you know, a little bit. So, so there are always ways that we can amplify the, the light either outside us. Um, and then if we use a reflector, then our own natural amplifier is going to amplify that signal even more because obviously the stronger the signal from the environment, the better, but a signal is going to be better than no signal. 
Okay. Oh, that's so fun about the the reflective surfaces amplifying the effect. And I love that story because um, that you have about your client who was a truck driver or a lorry driver for, if we're going to speak British. Um, and you just made the suggestion to him that he eats his, that, that he eat his lunch outside instead of in the cab of his vehicle. Mm-hmm. And it completely sort of changed his world. <laughs> yes, because um, he got out. So he got all of himself in the sun and he used to sit down. So he was grounded and he found it was massively beneficial um, for his blood sugar and um, other aspects. And then now, because we are primed to go out in the sun, because under certain sort of UV, it makes us it makes us produce encephalin, so we get addicted to it. So he now can't not eat his lunch outside because it he 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 doesn't it feels wrong to him now right. to do it in his in his truck. And he, he, he like will deliberately look for places to get out of his truck. So it started off just him eating his lunch in it. But now he'll sort of, if ever he stops for um, a bathroom break, he'll always go and stand on some grass or get, take a little bit longer, sit down for a bit, go under a tree. So it's sort of, and I didn't ask him to do that. He just started doing it by himself because the, the little bit of sun that he started getting um, at lunchtime, that triggered the encephalins and the endorphins. And his body was like, oh, I like this. I want more. I want more. Mm-hmm. And he didn't, it wasn't an effort for him because sometimes when people, when you try and get people to adopt a new habit, they don't want to. Uh, and it's always a battle. Whereas adopting sort of more sunlight is a very natural um, sort of high we can get. So people will automatically, without any effort, just start to seek out more sun naturally once they sort of feel the benefits for themselves. Right. And I love that story because it was such a simple change, right? Like it wasn't, I think we often feel that in order to have big health benefits, you know, we have to make these huge, massive, complicated, hard changes in our lives, right? Like I have to overhaul everything I eat and I have to overhaul my whole routine and I have to like start doing all of these intense workouts And to hear that somebody simply switched the location of where they ate their lunch and started to feel better, which led to more change, which led to more change. That's what I find so interesting about the quantum effects of this, right? Like it's, it's so surprising, I think, to know that you can get you can get these kinds of outcomes from such small changes. Yeah. And also like he'll tell other people and then because it, it does, it's nothing complicated and it's quite normal. Um, it's almost like it, it has an amplification effect of its own as we're talking about amplification, because then he tells other truck drivers and they will obviously listen to him, not not me sometimes. And then, then more of them start going out and starting to feel better. And then they get interested then because they think, well, okay, I felt better here. What what else can I do to get more effects? And, right. and, and they get curious. I think, well, once you pique people's curiosity, then they think, well, okay, um, what happens if I um, use a red light? What, what happens if I... Um, go out at a different time of day will I get a new benefit and it's sort of and again I think piquing people's curiosity and letting them feel better because we're all very experiential people if we do something and we feel better then we're going to seek out well what else is there in quantum that I can do to feel better because this was easy um what else is there yes 
Yeah. And it's fun. <laughs> I don't know. I know you're very good about you. You're very deep and an expert on, on the food front, but I talk a lot about how I'm useless on the food front and it spins me into depression to have to micromanage my food. Mm -hmm. So I find all this really fun because <clears throat> not that food isn't important, but I don't have to think about it in as detailed a way. Um, as I do with this quantum stuff where I'm just like, Oh, I'm going to take off my shoes and stand under this tree for a few minutes on that topic. So we talked about how light does lots and lots of things and getting full body sunlight is important, but just from a circadian perspective where we're kind of focused in this particular conversation, um, the light from the open window is sufficient, but then we, you did mention about the grounding and trying to find a, a time each day where you can go outside and have bare feet on the grass. What are the benefits of that? And how do you recommend people do that when it's say snowing? The, the thing is uh, with grounding, people think it, they can only stand on the grass uh, and that's the only way, but anything that's connected to the, to the ground is going to work. So say if you went out and put your hand on, on a tree that's mm. planted and you kept your shoes on that that would work because the trees grounded so it's like an electric circuit because humans and, and mammals and other animals are really interesting that we 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 don't have to be plugged into the mains all the time like um uh, say like a washing machine or a hairdryer we've got a certain amount of charge but as people know when they're trying to use their phone or their laptop when it's about to go out of charge it malfunctions so that's basically with us and our electrons and our redox if we start to run out of charge we don't function as well so one way we can recharge our batteries would be to go out and ground and you could touch say a say if you've got a metal bench somewhere you could sit on that because metal can conduct as well and then concrete does too so you could put your hand on that or touch a wall um so that's a way of getting the electrons in your body and because you're outside already you, you're going to be acting like the solar panel so you've got the grounding which is more of a magnetic effect and then you've got the solar panel or the light effect so you're basically charging your battery from two places and um, again, just to keep things simple, I think in the terms of batteries, if you if you go around, you know, in your quantum day thinking, how can I get the, as, as many electrons in as possible and keep myself charged? Like, you know, how we know ele electronic devices work better when they're sort of fully charged, like a torch. How, how do we make sure we don't start to lose our electrons? And I think that's a very sort of basic concept of thinking that we want to constantly recharge ourselves because we just function better when we're charged. Right. Okay. So the, so the goal of the day and a way to think about health in a very different way and a way to think about it sort of beyond genetic predetermination where we started is to think about it in terms of keeping ourselves charged and what helps charge our battery versus what depletes our battery. Now, obviously living in a modern world, we can't escape the, the depleting factors, but we can entirely, we could mitigate them once we know what they are, but we can also increase the, the factors that build up our charge. So could you talk about a few, a few ways we could mitigate the depletion and a few ways we can increase the charge? We've talked about circadian rhythm and grounding. What else is there? 
Well, the the technology is a very big stealer of our charge and distance is a friend there. So it it would just be, and I was guilty of this before, of carrying my phone around in my pocket when it's not in aeroplane mode and I'm not even using it or expecting a phone call. And and anybody can um, adopt that because unfortunately phones go very near our important bits. So we don't really want to disturb anything in that region. Um, And without going into sort of food and stuff i might mention it alcohol unfortunately steals electrons and so does fluoride so um it's just being sort of if if you can't there's actually less fluoride in the water than people think but there's still some there but maybe just switching to a fluoride free toothpaste would be a way to stop the fluoride stealing your electrons and if you do like alcohol maybe just start off by um reducing it a little bit so that would be sort of two for, for people who w- want a sort of very quick practical thing. I think the toothpaste is probably the easiest because there's ogles of like fluoride free toothpaste. So that's a thing that's a thing which would steal our electrons. And then I think just being aware that um about technology, obviously to still use it, but um if you have the opportunity to recharge yourself after you've been on your devices rather than just say if you've been working, rather than going off and texting your friend um, in the kitchen, go and text your friend outside in the garden um, Mm. or do your business calls um, walking outside because you you don't have to be in a particular location. So always, if you want to, if you do have a very tech heavy job that you can get out a lot to maybe think, okay, um, I'm going to use my device, but I'm going to sit outside uh, with my feet on the ground and in the sun so I can recharge myself as the phone is decharging me. So it sort of mitigates the effects. And it doesn't have to be perfect, but there's so many times when I could have gone outside to write that text message or do that call. And I just didn't because I was just I just didn't. And and something like that, it really does add up over time, because in terms of um, genetics, our mitochondria are batteries inside our cells that make water and um, ATP and um, infrared uh, light. They have their own genetics or genes. And as we get older, there's something called mitochondrial um, heteroplasmy rates. And it just means our mitochondria are more likely to collect mutations in their particular genes separate to us and mitochondria particularly dislike technology so that's one way to sort of protect your mitochondria so it's not just about you and the tech it's about them as well and like you mentioned we live in a world where we have all these modern commodities which we can't get rid of but we can just start to use them a bit for more mindfully once we know they're stealing our our battery and we need charging up same as the devices do. Right. Yeah. And I think, you know, it's, we've managed to do that with food, right? I mean, we, we have an understanding generally speaking of, you know, healthy food versus processed food versus dessert. And we don't think we can just have dessert for breakfast, lunch, and dinner. And it doesn't, you know, Mm. meals a day. We know that, you know, that would be the, the smaller portion and the rarest portion of the type of food we eat. And so I think of it in the same way with technology is just, we just seem to have this idea. We can have it as much as we want, as long as we want, and there's no effects. And it's like, once we understand that there are effects, we can sort of limit our portions in the same way we do with other things that we need and enjoy, but aren't necessarily health giving. But I think on the food analogy, often people have a treat and then go for a big run or go to the gym. So if you must have a Netflix or a tech fest, 
that then go and recharge yourself outside, even if you don't want to, or it's raining, it's you, you chose to watch um, like a whole series on Netflix for five hours. So you need to go and like do something you don't really want to do, like go outside in the rain in order to charge yourself back up. Same as people who've overeaten probably don't really want to go to the gym, but they have to because um, they want to undo their treat. So I think it's just about viewing it with that sort of analogy that if you've done it, it doesn't matter. We all do it, but do your best to undo it or charge yourself back up again, because also the textiles are metabolic water as well and when we start to run low on that our processes in the body don't work as well so it's not just about the electrons it's about when you go back outside again and ground it's going to increase the easy or the exclusion zone of your metabolic water so that's the other problem with tech that say for people who do a ketogenic diet that they're busy making a lot of water with their food but as soon as they um go and touch their tech that all the water gets stolen again so it's just about mm. um thinking about how can i keep myself as hydrated as possible inside so drinking loads of water does nothing it can actually make it worse so it's just about if you have done something like had a netflix binge then you need to make the effort now to undo it and the only way you can do that is go in nature okay so yeah so we just we need to compensate Yes. Um, so we need to use our computers. We need to use our phones. We like to use them. They're fun. We're using it right now. Uh, but just with the knowledge that it is having an effect on our body. Okay. But we also have the knowledge of how to counteract that effect to some extent. Yes. Yeah, definitely. Um, and, and it's also because I know people are generally sort of interested in food and blood sugar and stuff like that. So back to the trucker and his food. Um when we eat outside, because we've got different signals from the sun, uh, our bodies, and um, we've got less blue light um, from devices, our bodies process um, sugar better. So if you must say, if you really love a certain sugary food, if you must eat it, then same as the phone, go and take it outside and eat it um, mm. outside in the sun. And it's not, it's not like a message to give people permission to do it. It's just um, people are going to do what they want anyway, but how to right. make less of a problem and this is back to what we were saying that there's there's a particular sort of protein in the body that um gets processed differently depending on what color light um, is hitting our skin or our eyes and if it's lots and lots of blue light it produces more cortisol and raises our blood sugar and we haven't even eaten anything so if you right. went to get something on top in blue light you're much more likely to store it or create inflammation whereas if you went and did it outside it, it you're in a more natural environment and um it, it's going to be less problematic and sometimes once people have gone outside that they, they think oh, well i'm out now i might as well go for a walk as well yeah. so it's sort of um propagates uh, like it amplifies it because they took the first step and, and thought oh, actually I quite like it out here I've just eaten a cookie um I think I might just go for a walk now whereas before yeah. they would have just carried on eating their cookie and watching their Netflix so like we were saying it's one action then propagates another action and it can be in a positive way right and it's also what's so interesting from a quantum perspective right it's like um you know, we we're talking about old paradigms. So in the old paradigm, the genetics determine everything. And then in the old paradigm, like a, an ice cream cone is an ice cream cone. It has this many calories and this many grams of fat, and that's that. But in the quantum paradigm, walking to the ice cream parlor and getting an ice cream and walking outside in the sunshine while you eat it, 
has a different effect than eating an ice cream cone at home watching television when it's dark outside and you're being bombarded by even though the ice cream may have the same calories and the same fat, the effect on your body is totally different depending on the environment and the actions that you're taking while you're eating it. Yes, absolutely. Um, that, that it would change how the the body processed the ice cream. It's not going to mitigate it, but it's just going to be better than doing it inside because now you've opened up another quantum aspect of deuterium that um, another thing about this is we get older, we just collect more deuterium and it's a heavy isotope of hydrogen. So it's natural. And this has got nothing to do with genes. Um, you haven't, there's no gene for collecting um, deuterium. You, you do it in your environment by what you eat and um, the water you drink. And even if you don't know anything about deuterium, naturally people are outside a lot more. So they used to eat things that have got lots of deuterium in them, but because they're outside, they can deplete it in sunlight and also getting cold, like swimming outside in a lake or going for a walk when it's cold, you're doing a bit of cold therapy then, and that can help your body um, get rid of some of the deuterium. Also, if you went for a walk and decided to do it briskly and sweated a bit, then you're going to um, get rid of the, some of this deuterium. And this is a very sort of quantum aspect of um, uh, our biology that I don't think about food anymore, about fat and carbs and stuff. I think, has, has it got lots of deuterium or has it got not very much deuterium? And then I'll pick food based on that. And I just find it much more simple. And then if somebody does do something and have a, has a binge, then it's all, all the more reasons to go out in nature, go and do some cold therapy, go and have a sauna, um, go and deplete your deuterium and sort of get rid of it yourself. And it just gives um, food picking um, or understanding food a different dimension because there are people that say they're doing they they do genuinely eat what they think they should be, but they haven't taken in the the fact that there's deuterium in there. And okay. I think that the, the subject that comes up all the time is eating tropical fruit out of season, because if I eat tropical fruit now, it's it's got a specific sort of quantum message from the sun but it's also got loads of deuterium in it because it's meant to be eaten by people who live at the equator where they've mm -hmm. got lots of sun so they can deplete their deuterium much better under sort of um, strong uv whereas i can't deplete the deuterium to the same extent with my sun so therefore if i ate a pineapple in costa rica and ate a pineapple in the uk um, there's going to be two completely different outcomes in my mitochondria and in my body, but because the pineapple itself has got information in it. So the information gets given to the mitochondria and then the eyes and the light check um, is the same signal coming from the sun that's come from the pineapple. And if the answer is no, it, it um, registers like a fault, like when you're trying to scan something through a checkout and it's the wrong mm -hmm. item. So there's a big panic. So if, if I ate okay. a pineapple in the UK, my, um, the light's going to come in, um, get amplified in my body, tell the mitochondria, you know, approximately where I am and how much light there is. And then it's going to um, get the information out of the pineapple and say, uh -uh, big, massive mismatch. And as you mentioned earlier, chaos is another word for inflammation or mismatch. So, so it doesn't mean the pineapple is bad. It's the environment in which you eat the pineapple that's the problem or not the problem per se. Okay. So what about what about food that doesn't have uh doesn't have a home like ice cream or cookies where 
There is uh, no natural environment where that grows. Okay. Um, I, I'm now, the, if the sun wasn't involved in making something, then I don't want to eat it. And, and this okay. can go for medication and supplements as well, because if a factory made it, not the sun, but then it's lost its information. And this is why people tend to tend towards um, herbal medicines more than pharmaceuticals, because the sun was involved in making them. So I'm not saying supplements are good but i'm just saying that the sun was involved in making cbd or medicinal mushrooms or ashwagandha or those things so there is still some kind of information from the sun to tell the mitochondria the sun made this so therefore it's better than the ice cream or the cookie that the factory made because the factory food has lost its information mm -hmm. Conveniently, anything that's made in a factory is also really high in deuterium as well. So that's another signal that to warn the mitochondria or the body, hey, this has got loads of deuterium in it, be careful. So uh, whereas even though there are like fruits that are high in deuterium, processed foods got more. So it's, it's not just the information that's been lost from the sun. You've actually brought in another, you've brought in the deuterium as well. And like you said, there's no cookie tree or, or ice cream tree um, either. So that's the other problem with the processed food. It's it's, it's the lack of information um, in it. So it'll just confuse the mitochondria because it's got no idea. Did this come from the moon or, you know, Jupiter? It doesn't know anything about the ice cream. So it'll just register it as something sort of foreign or alien. And then it just the it's it's I won't go into details of how it knows, but it'll register that it's. It, it you know it's not natural it's okay. just things um but then back so to the we're, so it's adding another layer of stress for our body to deal with just like um artificial light at night is not is adding another layer of stress for our body to deal with and causing chaos in the body eating processed food yes yeah, so the same the thing same yeah it's just basically we, we were talking earlier about how we want a, like um a, a communication and it's like um that it's congruent as in it matches the environment that um if you're say if it's in the middle of winter and you've got blue light on at 10 10 p.m that that's not congruent it's not natural it's not how it should be so it's something inside you is going to know it's not right and then the way that it comes out in the body it comes out as symptoms which in one person might be anxiety somebody else it might be diabetes somebody else it might be joint pain and it's so it's it's again separate from the immune system and it's separate from the genes so, so that's what our, what the idea is about the the message being congruent. Um, it matches um, what the environment should be. So we always want a match between our environment, and then when it comes to light, we want the skin and the eyes to give the mitochondria the same signal. That's why sunglasses are a problem because now we've blocked the signal from the eyes. So the mitochondria are only getting the skin signal and according to the eyes, everything's black so or dark. So that's going to confuse them as well. So again, mm -hmm. we've created confusion by wearing some sunglasses because we blocked one of our surfaces and then the message that got through only came from the skin and it's having darkness at the wrong time can also confuse the body. Right. So we want to reduce the signals that are causing confusion, i.e. chaos, i.e. inflammation in the body, which can show up or will show up as symptoms, different symptoms, depending on what underlying issues are in any given person. Um, yeah. And we want to increase the signals that cause that create coherence in the body. 
And those signals tend to come from nature and natural food, things that nature produced. Yeah, because I suppose for coherence, that anything the sun made is going to be more coherent than something the factory or, or made or, or, or it's a chemical because it's just... Um, contains the correct information because ultimately all food sources come from photosynthesis and we are tied to the sun so if we get separated from it either we can't see it or we're eating food that hasn't got a message from the sun in it whether it's a herb or a or a fruit it doesn't really matter we just want to keep this information from the sun flowing into us in different ways without distorting the signal or giving a incoherence because back to the technology it gives off sort of incoherent um magnetic fields and the earth right. gives off a coherent field so to go back to the standing on on the earth the grounding it's a direct um current into us and that's coherent according to our bodies whereas an alternating current that's why you shouldn't plug your grounding mats into the into the mains because you're going to get an alternating current and it's incoherent so again those kind of sudden changes of signal like that for, from a device also creates chaos as well because we like just a the, the the direct current from the sun or the direct current from the from grounding um standing on planet earth and not a sort of wavy sort of disorganized current same as we don't right. like we, with music we like coherent music we don't like things that teenagers play <laughs> yes yeah. except the teenagers they like it Okay, so coming back full circle, and we're, we'll we'll wrap it up with this. We started off by talking about genes and how um, genes don't necessarily determine our health outcomes in the way that um, we previously thought. So, what does? I've heard you mention mitochondria a lot of times. Is that, you know, is that what's um, receiving the signals, and it is our mitochondria? And the mitochondrial DNA that's determining the outcomes and not the genetic DNA? Um, it's both. Well, I mean, the, the mitochondrial um, heteroplasmy rate is just their DNA getting more incoherent with mutations. But then the mitochondria can um, talk to our genes and give them instructions to tell them what to do. So if we give the mitochondria a bad signal um, from, say, too much blue light for 50 years, it's going to constantly give our genes a, a bad signal. And like we were talking about before, that blue light can be a growth factor. So it could be something growing when we don't want it to. Um, so so that's, that's one aspect of the mitochondrial communication. But also we don't want to break our mitochondria either with too much um, blue light or deuterium or EMFs um, so that... Um, they end up producing a lot of, say, free radicals because a free radical is also light as well. So we, we can do things in our environment that make our mitochondria give off light, but um, in a sort of negative way as well. Just to just a sort of so free radicals are for for communication, but when they go out of control, they can be damaging as well. Okay, so we want to keep a coherent communication channel within our bodies mm -hmm. and um, processed food, artificial light at the wrong time. Um, the wave, the frequencies coming out of digital technology, these all create a chaotic communication system. Mm -hmm. And as we know with anything, when the communication system breaks down, we get into trouble. Uh, yes. 
Yes. Okay. So uh, just to, to um, wrap it up, you uh, sent me a beautiful slide where you talked about how uh, the CEO is the brain, the mitochondria are, are the power in the water, and our glands are the biological pharmacy. So in a system that has coherent communication, how, do, how does that um, metaphor play out? Okay, well, yeah, the brain's a bit is like inside a cave as well. So it relies on the surfaces, so it knows what to do and when. Um, and when we talk about our biological pharmacy, a lot of it is the pituitary gland in the brain. So if we can get the right signals from the right light at different times of the day, we can make all sorts of goodies. For example, we can make our own um, endocannabinoids, we can make enkephalins to make us feel good. So um, that would be an example. And we can make painkillers as well. So that's an example of how the light told the brain to make these things. But then also, if we look after our mitochondria and um, they're, they're very efficient at producing water and ATP, we're obviously going to have more energy, less infl inflammation and generally just have a better life. Because if we've got good mitochondria and a good redox and plenty of um, coherent water, then we're going to function, you know, well like a well-oiled machine and as just to tie it back the mitochondria are very de are completely dependent on red light and we always have infrared or red light so whoever made the universe did make sure that every mitochondria on the planet could get red light but we need other light as well to to make or activate other things in our biological pharmacy as well so that's you know sort of a simple way of explaining um the light told the brain to make things in the pharmacy and then the light also told the mitochondria that we want to run like a lamborghini engine uh, and then we feel good and we have energy and we're happy so in very simplistic terms that that would be how we could put the analogy together okay so the light and other frequencies give the signal to our bodies to be in coherence and that when our bodies are in coherence, we feel better. We're in a better mood. We have more energy. We digest our food better. Uh, our joints work better. We're able to move better. Everything is improved. Yes, definitely. And, and just to loop back to mental health, say if somebody um, thinks, oh, in my family, we've got a gene for depression, um, that person would be able to overcome that problem by using the sun maybe more than somebody who had a different gene because they're just going to need to go out. We won't go into this in detail at a particular time or more in the morning to really gather in as much UVA light to tell the brain to make more serotonin and dopamine so that we can overcome a deficit by using nature, even if we maybe do have some, some predispositions to a mood disorder, we, we can learn how to overcome that using nature. Whereas um, if you just stayed inside all day, the environment is going to make that depression gene more likely to be a problem for you, if that um, makes sense. Yeah, that make it makes total sense. And I think it makes intuitive sense as well when we think about it, right? If we are consistently putting our cells in a situation that stresses them out, it's going to turn on all the bad stuff and give us all the bad outcomes. Um, and so just to wrap up, I want to um, kind of go over what 
the wisdom that uh, I've gleaned from this interview. So uh, exposure to natural light is very important, especially first thing in the morning. Mm-hmm. Um, you, uh, But throughout the day, we want to try and get at least one time during the day where we're outside and grounded. And the rest of the time, ideally, we would, we could crack a window or at least go on frequent breaks near an open window or outside. Um, and we want to eat food that was made in nature, ideally somewhat seasonal to where we are currently living. Is there anything else that you would add just for a super high level um, wrap up in terms of things we can do to um keep ourselves healthy and keep those, keep those genes turned off when we want them off and turning on when we want them on. Yeah. I'm just going to flip around what you've said, because a lot of people always say, well, how, what's the minimum time to go out? What's, you know, the minimum amount of grounding? It's actually the opposite. What's the minimum amount of time do I have to spend inside under the blue light and, and, and causing mitochondrial hyperplasia? So, so, so it's more about um, thinking that, this this idea that the more you're inside, it might be nice and cozy, but you want to sort of maximize or minim- actually minimize your indoor time rather than trying to focus on, you know, um, looking at it from, oh, if I go out for two minutes, I've done it now, well, uh, you right. know, good for me. And it's like, well, unfortunately, you've got 23 hours now still inside. <laughs> So yes. on, 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 on to flip it round a bit that and to be realistic that you sometimes have to look at, well, OK, I was out for an hour, but how long was I in for? Mm-hmm. And then sometimes when people see it flipped around, they're like, oh, my goodness, yeah, I am in all the time. And I didn't realize I hadn't thought about it like that. Um, so, so that's how I would sort of um, end it there. So it's like a mindset shift of not how much can I go out, but how can I minimize how much I'm in? I love it. I love it. So it's like, oh, how can I structure my life to be outside as much as possible and minimize being inside in the same way that I minimize, you know, eating ice cream and candy. Uh, we want to minimize those things that we know are are causing the chaos. But I think also people like numbers. And if you change it round um, the other way and they realize how much they're in, they don't like that big number. So they'll make an effort to bring it down. Whereas if people very proudly say to me, well, I go out for half an hour a day, so I'll just just flip it back round. And then I don't have to say anything else because the penny dropped for them and they think, oh, yeah. And when but I was inside for 23 and a yes, half hours, <laughs> other people stuff as much as you like, and it goes in one ear and out the other. But when you flip things round and the penny drops for the person and they think it was their idea sort of subconsciously then they'll just automatically make changes same as the truck driver I didn't have to tell him any more about going outside it's sort of the penny dropped in his head and he decided or his body decided it wanted to be outside more and it's back to what we were saying right at the beginning that we are primed to be addicted to the sun and for people who are frightened of it or are new you you, um, say if you are struggling with an addiction and I do think that some people just move from one addiction to the other like I do so you might as well go and satisfy that by dopamine pathway and go and get addicted to the sun and chances are that's the end of the cycle then because when it comes to addiction maybe you know it is an important aspect for people that 
you can't take away all our pleasures. So go and get addicted to the thing that we're naturally supposed to get addicted to. And maybe sort of on a high level thing, maybe that pathway is open. We have to get addicted to the sun. But unfortunately, in that addiction pathway, all sorts of other addictions can kind of go in. Uh, and if we want to overcome one addiction, and we, we know we're just going to move to another, say, drug or whatever. Why not go and get addicted to the sun? And you might end up satisfying your own um, addictive behavior because th there's a reason we do get addicted to something, yeah. things. And um, that that's just my current way of thinking about addictions and stuff. And I'm sure right. there are people who've been from one to another to another and thinking, well, mm -hmm. this is never going to end. And it ended for me when I got addicted to the sun. Right. So the the dopamine pathway satisfied by the sun was basically unhijackable by all those other little addictions that wanted to get in there previously. Uh, yes, because the thing is, I don't like um, like you can get poly addicts that it's several things all at once, but I'd stop one thing and start another. Mm. Uh, and it just went on and on like that. It, like I could go on for ages about this. And then, then I just realized, I think there's part of our biochemistry that's um, designed for addiction. That's why, say, extreme sports, we're, we're yeah. designed to go out of our caves. When we, If humans never left their caves, we wouldn't be here now. So even if they got chased by loads of woolly mammoths, they hated it at the time, but they got a buzz out of it. So that's part of why we have got this big cocktail of potential sort of um addictive compounds in our own brains and this is back to our own pharmacy again it's there for a reason our natural pharmacy and if we don't put the right addiction in like running away from tigers or being out in the sun it'll just find another one to satisfy it because nature hates voids so you unfortunately have to fill that addiction void with something that's my sort of thoughts you know it's just a theory but just mm -hmm. from working with people in addictions that pathway has to have a purpose. So why not right. put it to its natural purpose? Beautiful. I love that. And that's just another way that a, a quantum approach is so uh, gentle and fun, right? It's like, we're not trying to conquer our, ourselves. We're not trying to conquer our biology. We're trying to work with it. And we were designed to live in this world in a, in a functional and energized state. And we can slowly get back there. Yeah, definitely. And I think it ties in nicely with genetics and I've got an addictive personality gene. Well, OK, go and use it for something that's going to be beneficial and go and get addicted to the sun. Because, you know, yeah, of course, there are genetics that mean people have got different amounts of dopamine, uh, which has got benefits as well, because for every bad genetics you've got, there's always a positive side as well. So, you yeah. know, I've now to um, hone my dopamine problem into being productive and creative rather than just you know um yeah. getting mad all the time so <laughs> those things that um yes. it's um another way to look at genetics and snips are people think oh i've got a mutation it's like no at some time in your evolution that um particular snip offered you a benefit and now you don't know how to use that in your environment. So, you know, maybe you are eating the wrong food for that particular gene. So it's not the gene's fault. It's that it's the environment. So I think it ties back in for that. Even these bad genes, I'm not talking about diseases now. I'm just talking about SNPs that they all have a purpose. And sometimes the fun of it is to find, OK, how can I use my bad hand 
in a positive way how can i make my snips work for me what what can i do so my genes and my environment can basically create a superpower rather than something that's destructive i love it i love it what a great place to wrap up um yeah we can embrace ourselves and when we truly understand how our how we work our own unique self we can make we can make choices that will you know, lead us to live lives we didn't think were possible. I love it so much. Thank you, Sarah. Always such a pleasure to talk to you. We will have you back again soon. Maybe we'll go, we'll go farther down that addiction rabbit hole. That was a fun talk. Be sure to check the show notes for a link to join Sarah's newsletter and subscribe to her Instagram and her amazing YouTube channel at Busy Superhuman. We would also love to hear from you. Go to quantumbiologycollective.org and click join the newsletter to become part of our email community. This has been the Quantum Biology Collective podcast. To find a practitioner who works from this point of view, visit our directory at quantumbiologycollective.org. If you are a practitioner, definitely check out our Applied Quantum Biology certification to consider as part of your continuing education plan. You can also just jump into our email community. We'd love to hear from you. Again, that's at quantumbiologycollective.org.